Um, it feels like we haven't been here for a minute. So it does. Nice. It does. So welcome back, streamers. Hell yeah. And I hope you're all doing well, enjoying the spring weather. Look, you know what, Jason? I saw a New Yorker cartoon today. <laughs> Wait, you, you, you're the person who reads the New Yorker? No, no. I saw the, cartoon, saw the cartoon online. Cartoon. It's okay. just, I didn't say I read the New Yorker, so I saw a New Yorker cartoon. <laughs> That's different. But the, it was a drawing of a couple walking through a park, and the woman is saying to the man, don't let this beautiful weather fool you into thinking everything is fine. <laughs> so, so anyway, anyway, today we have a double dose of double features. We just wrapped up our Elaine May series, and so we thought we'd empower ourselves in films that explore class and gender issues. So we're going to, we're going to be pairing Infinity Pool with Triangle of Sadness and Women Talking with Nine to Five. So we have a balance of gravitas and enlightenment. And whimsy. And whimsy. So speaking of gravitas and, and whimsy, how how are you doing? I you know lovely. I, I you know I am enjoying this. You know, but I do realize, God damn man, I don't fucking know. Jesus Christ, why'd you ask? Like. <laughs> Like I'm sorry. I'm sorry for caring about you. I want to be. I want to be upbeat. But man, I, I and again, I know this. We're not topical, and we're not a news podcast. And I know we throw in these that the world is burning. But fuck me, man. It's just like I. I, I just I, I keep waiting for like this is the end type. You know, but real doomsday shit to just happen. <laughs> like just to kick off. Like if I were to walk outside tomorrow. And there were, you know, third right Nazis going down my street while the sky was literally on fire. And, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be shocking. Be like, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. I mean, be I'd be pissed because I have to, you know, get around them. But I mean, outside of that, yeah. No, and I don't mean to be again. We don't do it, whatever. But, um, but no, I'm do doing ever, fine. Do, I'm doing fine. Do you ever sort of like hope that the apocalypse or some version of it comes sooner, where you? From- so that you're still like young enough and strong enough to actively resist rather than it coming later where you just sort of throw your hands up and like, oh, I'm just crushed by the wave of like fire running down. Have you ever seen Deep Impact? The... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, when Tay Leone realizes that she, if she gives away her seat on the helicopter to go off to Noah's Ark or the new Ark or whatever it's called in that, in, in that movie. And she goes to the New York beach with her dad and they just face the, that's what I want, man. Yeah. Gotcha. I want to be at gotcha. ground fucking zero. <laughs> I don't, cause I, I mean, look, I think I could survive, but I have the problem with surviving is that I have people with me. So it would be difficult to keep everyone alive. I think you, the, and so that's the real issue. I'm in a last of us type situation. I mean, just let me, let me turn into a mushroom person immediately <laughs> rather than just why not just commit suicide? I could, I could, but I think that's a. I th- again, I'd, I'd almost rather it happen for me. I think the committing of suicide it was it's too active. It's, it is well, so you sort of want to be passive in your death and not an active agent. <sighs> yes, I'm gonna. Yeah, because I think I, you know, because you have people then. Because that I don't want it to be like the end of the mist where I've got to shoot all the people that I know and then take the last bullet for myself, right? Or not have a bullet available to me. If I sorry if I spoiled the mist for you, but, um, <laughs> that's a bummer, man. <laughs> it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I've been watching, but like, kudos to that movie for like not pulling oh, punches, right? Right. Just being like, yeah, for sure, for sure. I've been watching, um, I, watching. I've. I passively have Pluto TV on usually when I'm doing stuff on my computer. I, you know, you laugh, but that, that, that's I laugh it. at the way you said it. Oh, like you just have Pluto TV on. Like it's not anything specific. It's just, <laughs> I have this app running 
<laughs> but I will say, like, I'm surprised. Well, and again, this is a little embarrassing, but I'm just going to own up to it. Usually I have the 90210 channel on um, because awesome. it's just nostalgic. It's awesome. just, and, and, and yeah. Tiffany Amber Thiessen, but I'm, it's not. I'm, That's but, later. That's later, 90210. So That's when, like Peach Pit after dark, 90210. When 90210 came out, I was a, I was a dyed-in-the-wool NBC Thursday night guy. So like Night Court, Cosby, Family Ties, Cheers. And then I didn't typically stay up for LA Law or whatever. It was the nine o'clock show. But I would, those four from seven to nine, died in the wool. And so even all throughout high school, when 90210 was like becoming big, um, 90210 was always showing on, on Thursdays. So I couldn't watch, I never watched 90210 until Cheers went off the air. The very final Cheers that I could turn over and watch and figure out what all the cool kids in my high school were doing. <laughs> And then I watched that motherfucker to the end. <laughs> well yeah. into my yeah, after yeah. my post college years, I and it, yeah, it was ridiculous and, and silly and um, you know when Janine Garth or Ginny Garth uh, started having those past life. You know, it was, it was a tip. Look, my mom, I was a latchkey kid. My mom grew up. My mom, I grew up having to do something between noon and one every day because that's when my mom recorded Days of Our Lives. And I and so like my mom would record Days of Our Lives when we got home, we would watch Days of Our Lives during dinner. So I would I grew up watching and was like and that was luckily for me that was the only one she ever watched. It was like so I so I knew the Days of Our Lives story from probably like six to gosh, all the way through, even when I, all the way through high school, she recorded it religiously every single day. Now she didn't like, we didn't keep the tapes or anything, but like, um, she recorded it every single day and boy, if it, and then my mom's not an angry person or, 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 uh, you know, vindictive in any way, but if, but if it didn't record, she was not happy. She's got to watch her stories. Because again, you don't like, that's a crazy, um, like how many episodes? I think it's still going on. I'm not sure if Days of Our Lives is. I think that's the last like vestige of like the true daytime soap opera. Um, but man, can you imagine trying to binge watch all 35 years of like Days of Our Lives or how many years there were Was of Days the of Our Lives? Stefano. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I sw- I'm pretty sure everyone knows that one character. Even if you've right. never seen Days of Our Lives, you're like, wait, Stefano in that. One? It had Jennifer Aniston's uh, dad in it, and then there were, yeah, there was just a whole slew of the whole everything was dumb. It was all dumb, but it but yeah, it, but it, that's it, the point. Mm-hmm. That's why it's fun. <laughs> so yeah, so Pluto back to Pluto TV. Pluto TV has these. It's like it's like a like a very small cable system because they have channels that just typically that only run. When I say typically, that 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 just run one show. So they have a nine hundred two one zero channel, and they have a couple of other channels that are like Real Housewives and blah blah blah. But they also have like movie channels, and they just cycle through. And so they had a horror channel and like a thriller channel, like so you can just pop in at any given time. It it's there for you. And you don't have to think about it. You don't have to be actively engage in it. And it's just there running. And if I catch the last hour of screen three, then so be it. I watch the last hour of screen three and then whatever. And, and you have to watch a few commercials. But, you know, outside of that, hey, I'm, I'm a big proponent of uh, Pluto TV. And, and they show movies. They, they have stuff on demand as well. I don't know why I'm I'm pitching for Pluto at this point. Maybe and maybe, I have, they'll, maybe they'll call you up and be like, "Hey, <laughs> can Wilhelm? You want a sponsorship? Right, right. right. We'll do a thirty minute uh, spot for you if you want to do. Yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> so right. I mean, you know, so is- sign into uh, PlutoTV.com/slash/backslash Why Does Wilhelm Scream for your ten percent off discount. We've got to fund this podcast somehow. I mean, right now this podcast is brought to you by 
American Express. <laughs> Don't be fun with that. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> um, and and it's, I'm still waiting for that Goop sponsorship to come through. Yeah, so. you know, I'm surprised Gwyneth hasn't reached out. <laughs> Brock and I are both using vaginal eggs right now. <laughs> As a paperweight. <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. That's the thing. It's paperweight on, on paperweight on the desk here. Um, so I digress. I don't really even remember where the thread came from for Pluto TV or whatever you were talking about. But, um, but yeah. I, I don't know. I asked how you were doing. I'm doing fine. You know, I'm doing fine. You're killing yourself. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna kind of dip into the whole like Camus absurdism of you know like the only real question is. <laughs> Whether or not to kill yourself. There's a that's the only philosophical problem left. <laughs> there's a really funny bit uh, that Norm Macdonald does. Uh, on, I think it's on his latest special, and he's like, you know, people, you know, people suicide, and people always say, well, I can't believe that they did that, and he's like, really, you can't? Are you not familiar with life and how? <laughs> no, it just leads to a horrible end. It's like a, it's a series of disappointment after disappointment that just leads to an inevitable horrible end. You, you can't you can't understand why someone really take their own life. Really, it's it's that hard to understand. Look. Why Does a Wilhelm Scream is not advocating for suicide. I, I'm going to say that just straight out. <laughs> if you're having suicidal thoughts, please get help. But reach out to someone, find a loved one. I mean, we don't have a hotline, but we would be happy to take on a call. But yeah, look, we have email addresses. You, you know, they're on the show notes. You know, reach out. Right. Um, I'll chat. Yeah, for sure. I ain't got not that much stuff going on, really. No. I, well, I, I gotta watch movies for this thing, but other than that. Yeah. That, I mean, that takes up a lot of time. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> Especially because you're trying to come up with some sort of insight. Not that this is like, I mean, you're trying to come up with some sort of insight. So typically I'll watch these movies a couple times. I mean, and just, yeah. And, um, you know. Yeah. And I'd usually, and, and you see what kind of insight that brings us. <laughs> serious note i want to dip back into last time we were talking about feminism and i think previously you know waves of travoltaism <laughs> but we were we were talking about what wave of feminism we were actually in and and first i want to make the disclaimer that look the the wave metaphor is is problematic maybe not the best metaphor to use but it's what we're using and what we're kind of used to so let's stick with it and i was telling you that I thought we were in fourth wave, maybe fifth wave, and I was talking about like this argument. I just want to clarify some of that, right? So we are indeed, I think it's accepted that we are indeed in fourth wave feminism now. Highlight. Can, can you, okay, good. I was no. going to say, can you describe the yeah, waves then? Sure, sure. And I was going to say, I mean, really the big thing in the, do you want all the waves? I mean, just, sure, just why not? Wave. Let's figure, <laughs> okay, let's, right, let, I mean, let's figure right. this out, right? So I'll give you sort of like let's the highlight. So first wave, right, would have been in the... We realize women are our thing. <laughs> <laughs> women like, are not objects. Well, actually, women are telling men they are not objects. Uh, late 19th, early 20th century. I mean, think of like Susan B. Anthony. There was a push for suffrage, a push for female education, uh, better working conditions, abolition of sort of the gender double standard. Okay. Second wave, we've got early 60s through the 80s. This is Roe versus Wade, right? Roe v. Wade. So you saw kind of cultural and political inequalities as sort of inextricably linked. Um, it focused on ending discrimination, focused on sexuality, domesticity, family, workplace, reproductive rights, those kinds of inequalities. The 80s also saw, this is interesting, this like inf intrafeminist disputes or intrafeminist fightings over things like sexuality and especially pornography. 
So then that, that kind of infighting led to then that third wave. This is Gen X feminism. This is Riot Girl, right? This is female punk subculture. Um, it, it also challenged second wave's kind of essentialism and how it defined feminism, where look, second wave was mostly focused on white, middle, upper class women, right? right? Not, not the, so you saw kind of the rise of, or the development of intersectionality um, at this time. So more diversity, individualism, um, yeah, right? So then that leads us to fourth wave, right? which is, 2012 to the present, right? Again, focused on empowerment, but now we have the internet. And so this kind of marks, or this kind of provides that demarcation between the waves, between third and fourth wave. So the use of internet tools, again, further emphasis on intersectionality, marginalized groups, people of color, trans people, um, you know, think of the hashtag movements, you know, Me Too. Um, But internet activism, using those tools as a way to make other voices heard, right? To make all voices heard. Interesting. So some of the, um, some of the sort of, not discrepancy, but some of the thought about fifth wave is that it came along at the same time as fourth wave, that they're kind of branches on a bigger branch. (laughs) Yeah, I I know how branches work. (laughs) Um, Some of these nascent arguments for fifth wave kind of is that it's happening alongside fourth wave. I don't know enough to really speak on how that's working. Um, But in part, fifth kind of looks more more like second in a way, especially with the language that it uses in terms of opposition or the kind of oppositional language that it it uses. Um, I saw some stuff on like a Stanford Humanities website. I should have probably written that down <laughs> to, to like cite my sources. But some of the arguments I've seen really look at how the aspects of pop culture and instances of protest um, are, are being used to examine that kind of perceived shift in feminism. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, and again, like I think there's a danger in classifying the wave metaphor, but it, it, it's a useful metaphor as metaphors are. Right, right. And I also think this is useful for today's conversation as well. Sure. I, I wonder, as long as we progress, it, it'd be interesting to see the potential regression that occurs during these waves. And, that, that, cause I, I, and again, not to, not to continually perpetuate using terminology that's maybe not preferred, but but it's what we have, right? So. Well, no, right, right. But yeah, I mean, and, and so, I, and I know that they probably have you know, I absolutely have faced opposite. Now, you, we were talking about opposition, but just this, this, but a potential of pulling back towards a, um, a more defined and quote unquote traditional gender breakdown of roles and and places in society, et cetera. Well, and 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 people um, like Dave Chappelle, people like, uh, come on, the Harry Potter woman, J.K. Rowling. You know, identify as terps, right? As as excluding, you know, trans women from the conversation of feminism. I mean, that goes back to this idea of though this is how we essentially define these things. Yeah, that's going to be that's an, I, again, and we're not the, probably the podcast to talk about <laughs> necessarily well, but it is going to be an interesting um, how that progresses because and again with 
the seemingly narrow brush that we um, and the narrow areas in which we tend to want to address it and what seemingly unimportant areas and where we want to address it, like sports and things like that, that shouldn't. In my mind, again, and I don't want to, but it, that this speak for so, all of us. <laughs> speak for all movie lovers out there. No, but we we tend to we tend to define these things of 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 humanity, and then tie them into corporate capitalistic structures that just some just don't simply matter, and are also such a small percentage um, that it just doesn't seem to make like it just seems like we're. We're angry for when I say we, I mean the, the the backlash to it is angry for a selfish reason and an individualistic reason, rather than seeing the bigger picture of what is going on and the, the bigger picture of empathy and 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 again, I, I there's a lot there's a debate to be had um, and a discussion to be had, maybe not a debate, but um, this this idea that um, we can't like we have to take a hard stance in this that we have to turn off and, and say, this is this. And that is that uh, the same thing. I was listening to the, the new Chris rock special too. And like, he tries to kind of toe the line and, and straddle the fence, not toe the line. He straddles the fence. And it's just, I, I'm not a huge rock fan. Um, so, so you're, Slap. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, no, to be <laughs> so, so to to put this in summation, Jason, pro feminist, yes, pro violence, pro violence, pro yeah, and but and it's one of those things where look, I am pro funny more than I am anything else. If you can have an interesting and intriguing and a, a thoughtful take that doesn't just joke at the lowest common, it doesn't actually punch down. Or it punches down in a way that maybe we haven't thought about punching down. But I don't know. I'll give you if it's funny. But he, you can't stay. He couldn't stay away from a trans, like a you know five minute trans bit. For what end? That that it just wasn't clever. It was wasn't. It, it didn't help in any sort of way. And it also just kind of perpetuated. I don't know. It, the whole funny. The whole special was uh, fairly mediocre in my head. But you know, I guess. A question for you, and, and again, I know this is not about, about yeah, no. movies, but but since you are the sort of, you know, comedic connoisseur <laughs> on this podcast, do you think that these trans jokes are replacing like the gay jokes that comedian that that male standups used to tell on stage? Yeah, I think so. I I think I think the, the I think there's certain comedians that are ch- that are challenged and take up a challenge to then rebel back against what they're told they can't say no one in and so to that extent i say no because no one was telling them that they couldn't say they couldn't say they couldn't make jokes about the homosexual yeah, the LGBT. No one said, don't say gay to those guys right and, and 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 no one ever told them to not punch down then if you listen to comics from the 80s um, I mean, it, 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 big, huge names are going to have material, most likely, that punched down to the gays. They talked about the AIDS epidemic in the most horrific terms. Look, comedy doesn't age well, it, 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 but in that comedy specifically, it wasn't great anyway. I'll defend someone like Eddie Murphy in a sense, because I think he was young, and two, I think that the jokes that he was making were using problematic terminology that was also just being thrown around a lot then. 
it's not for me to say if someone should be offended by a joke. I'm of the stance that usually if you're going to get offended by one joke, you probably should get offended by all jokes and that, that there should, but, and, but I don't think that I'm not sure that Eddie Murphy joking about men looking at him when he is in a leather, all leather outfit. I think that's a little bit knowing about what he's doing. And also, and, but, and so using terminology and saying, I got to move around because they're looking at my ass. I don't know if that's harmful or not. I don't know if that's a harmful joke to make. It's, I think it's, a, I think he's trying to be playful. It's weird for me to say what a, what a comedian is actually thinking and, and what their, what their intent well, and, is. And to determine harmfulness. Right. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And so let me say that too. I don't miss, and I say that I don't know if it's harmful. So if we get right. to harm from right. it. Then I then then we can have the discussion, but I think what what Chappelle and 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 Gervais and like it's it's like these comedians are oddly trying to put these people in their place, like trying to push them down to a certain extent and just basically point at them and say, of course you're ridiculous, of course this is you know that there there is an there is an A and a B, and that you can't see that that we've lost all sanity. It, it's 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 one it's not funny it's not it's not a new take right it is just this weird sort of outrage that's unnecessary and unproductive and and hurtful and so i don't understand the insistence especially from Chappelle's point of view which i think he's probably one of the greatest storytellers that have that's ever taken stage and so to watch him when he he walks on stage and owns the stage it's it's really just amazing but it's just an area that and like I think the first special, and I know I'm talking a lot, but I, I think the first special that he did it seemed like it came from, and I don't remember which was one of the first Netflix ones, where he was seemingly coming back at himself a little bit, saying, "I don't understand this," and that, I think that's a okay thing to take. It's okay to tell that you don't understand this scenario and why you think it, but also to you know to to compartmentalize it and capture capture it in a sense of like this is my own failing. Um, and if you can make that funny, so be it. But I just look at this and I'm like, I, I don't see anybody doing this well. And I don't see why we continually have to go back to it um, when it's not an area that needs to be. That, <laughs> look, if you can make it funny, fine. If you can make a rape joke, funny, fine. If you make an abortion joke, funny, fine. Look, I'm not saying I'm not advocating for it. But, <laughs> right. but, but I've heard women tell rape jokes that were that were fucking hilarious. That 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 also got to the core of who they were and what this is. I mean, like, and I'm not saying a, even I'm not even saying a certain person can, you know, a certain I'm not saying that trans jokes have to be allocated or rape jokes have to be only done by women. I mean, again, yes, it is tricky, but I always err on the side of the comedian to see how they can pull themselves out of it and or, or get through a bit or come through and, and provide us with some sort of insight that we haven't done. In, and I just don't know. I just don't know why they, I don't know why they have to double down. And like the, one of the best comics I think is going that's going right now is Burr, Bill Burr. And I don't see him doing that same, falling into the same type of trappings. And he's still like addressing things that are, you know, yeah. He, I mean, from a perspective of like not a white guy does this and a black guy does this, but he 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 does so well with his racial material. I think he also, um, I, I, and 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 basically kind of shows the ridiculousness of, of both sides of everything. It makes it funny to everybody. I don't know. I just I I feel I think it's disappointing to see these 
people who had voices continually try to undermine the movement of 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 the trans community when there's no real need to do so. They are they already are like it's so many so much shit. I mean, like it doesn't doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, I, and to even bring it up like the way Rock does, which is like he comes in comes into it like I you know I'm for all people and for all rights, and then he start then he goes to and makes jokes about how he would feel if his dad and his brothers would feel if his dad was trans. And again, okay, maybe there's something there, but he can't make it funny. So I don't know why you even, why you even just try it. Be like, be like Dwayne Wade with his, with his trans daughter. Right. Yeah. 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 Don't be assholes. All right. You what? want to talk about some fucking movies? Wait, wait, wait yeah. Okay. Sorry. Let's ahead. do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> this is why the How do you feel about starting with Infinity? I, I, I love it. I love it. Let's start with Infinity. Let's start tell with some me, body tell me why horror. You love it. Uh, I think this is. I think this is Cronenberg's uh, Brandon Cronenberg, um, not David, the son of David, <laughs> in, in the biblical hierarchy of biblical sense of Cronenberg's. Okay. <laughs> in, in first Cronenberg, uh, this is the descendant of David. Uh, I, I think this is Cronenberg's most accomplished and most, uh, I don't know, just well-rounded film. I think it's his best acted film. I, I know he's not, he's not a huge filmography. He's, he's all, this is his third one. Right. right. Have you seen his first one? I have not. I've seen Possessor, and I I liked Possessor. I wasn't blown away, and I agree with you. This is a better, more accomplished film than Possessor. I have not seen his first one. Okay. Okay. I was just curious. Um, well, that just negates all our takes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Right. If we have not watched the full filmography, Jesus Christ, you guys are terrible. Mm-hmm. You've watched Cronenberg's first. <laughs> it's a take that I would have had. Um, and and I youth. think and I think Possessor. Let's get back on track here, Wiseman. <laughs> I think Possessor is 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 well acted as well. I think. Oh, look, I like Andrea Riseborough. I like Christopher Abbott. I think these two um, have. I think they've gotten better since that film is, is what I'll say. Sure. But I do like them and I will check out anything that those two are in or, or, or try to anyway. But I think the new Transformers movie, if you wanted to check that one yeah, out. Yeah, no, I'm definitely in for that. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go back and do a whole rewatch of the entire Transformers series. <laughs> God help um, you. No, I'm super excited. Um, I'm starting with the cartoons, the entire like cartoon the series. Well, then, yeah, the, and then the cartoon movie, which I saw as a kid with what? my mother. My mother took me to go see the Transformers movie. It was it was great. Um, <laughs> and then I'm moving into to all the all the Michael Bay. I'm moving into the Bayham, the the Bayverse. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, back to back Infinity to back Pool. To, yeah. Um, so so this stars Alexander Skarsgård and and Mia Goth. And I think it's fair to say we're both Mia Goth fans. Yeah. How can you not be? Yeah. Well, I'm sure somebody. <laughs> so so keep going with your assessment. Yeah, you, we want to break it down of what it's all about. Um, uh, Alex, you mean plot wise, because yeah. what it's all about is right, going right, to be right, a deeper, sure. like longer discussion. So Alexander Skarsgård plays a a failed author. You don't necessarily know he's failed at the beginning of the movie. He's there on vacation, very much like White Lotus. He's on a he's on a very posh uh, fictional island um, locale with his wife. There, when the film opens, we're we're with them at breakfast, and it feels like they've been there for a few days and. Um, we're seeing this kind of what appears to be a local tradition um, that's being upheld by the hotel there, the resort that they're in, where 
they're going to be doing some sort of ceremony and the ceremony involves all these like really grotesque uh, looking masks that, that, the, that the members are wearing that they're available for sale. Everything's available for sale. So Skarsgård wife, who's played by Cleopatra Coleman, wants to go into the, uh, she wants to go into the city and he doesn't want to go into the city. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, a, a ruckus breaks out on the beach and Skarsgård is um, watching these people ride four-wheelers throughout the beach, and there's a commotion of, uh, it's like the hotel's trying to chase them off. And there, we get a feeling there's like kind of a, a, a locals, kind of uprising, locals versus right. tourism. Right, kind of. right, right. Yeah, you feel like this is kind of like a Cancun scenario where all the good stuff is being held over for the white people and the rich people in the resort. And everything else surrounded, surrounding, because the, the, the people who are at the resort are not allowed to go into town. They're not allowed to leave the grounds. We find out this later. At, during the ruckus and the commotion, Alexander Skarsgård meets up with Mia Goth, who, uh, her name is Gabby, and she approaches him and tells him that she is a big fan of his work. And she's really looking forward to his next book. She really enjoyed this book. They meet their husband, meet, she, they, we meet her husband, and they convince Skarsgård and his wife to go on an excursion with them outside the realm of, outside of the... Well, they have dinner together. They, right, right, right. So it's like, and this gets back to where his wife wants to go out to dinner and he's like, I just want to stay here. I don't want to go out to the city. It's kind of a joke and blah, blah, blah. But when Gabby and her husband want to go out, he's like, yeah, let's go hang out with people. So they brush, they brush his ego. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up going... This they end up having um, lunch out on the beach. Um, Gabby's husband... Uh, it makes them sausages and like tries to stuff sausages into Skarsgård's mouth. And keeps trying to make them continue to eat um, sausages. And this is the first instance where we get that something might be awry. Skarsgård goes off to uh, to to go to the restroom, and uh, while he's doing that, um, Gabby comes up behind him and pleasures him um, <laughs> manually. Yes, manually. Uh, we get to see both the. Um, no one would know you're older than me. <laughs> Your little giggles, <laughs> giggles through like dick jokes. We get to see both expectorants hit the ground, um, and so we're brought back. Uh, Skarsgård. So on the way back, they all been drinking. Skarsgård decides to to drive them back through the gates, or you know, back to the resort. Um, while he does that, the car's lights go out and the car's lights come back on. And of course he hits somebody. Um, they try to cover it up or Gabby says, we're going to cover this up because the local police here are corrupt and we're not going to, we're not going to be subject to their corruption and their potential, um, molestation of us and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, she says to his wife, (laughs) the cops will come rape you and they'll find you dead in two days. Right. So Skarsgård and his wife go back to their hotel. Um, they're woken up the next morning, basically saying, "Hey, we know you hit this person, and we know you're guilty. And the punishment for this is that the son of the man that you killed gets to kill you. But hey, it's all good because we have this cloning technology, and if you have the money, we can clone you, and the son can kill the clone instead of you. You get to get a little, and so everyone's happy. Everyone's fine." <laughs> And of course, this is a program through the tourism board. (laughs) (laughs) And so, of course, Skarsgård picks that option. He watches the clone of himself get stabbed many, many times by the son 
of this man that he killed. And then it turns out that we go deeper with Gabby and her group of friends and that they have been cloning themselves and, and uh, over and over and over again. They've all been cloned themselves. They've all been killed. They clone themselves to torture their clones, to kill their clones, to do all different kinds of things. Uh, this devolves into um, it basically Gabby and her friends manipulating Alexander Skarsgård into doing all different kinds of things that he wouldn't have normally done. Um, his wife goes back to uh, to their home. He stays behind because he's missing his passport. And then this whole scenario just just kind of you know un develops where. Uh, it, and, and eventually Skarsgård figures out that that he's been being played um, by Gabby. He, basically, Gabby tells him at a certain point when, when he starts to become reluctant to do all of the things that they want him to do to the clones and to his clones specifically, uh, they ridicule him. They treat him like a child. She basically says, hey, I never read your book. That was a joke. I, like, I, like, I think you're ridiculous. She starts reading a review of his book that just basically belittles, belittles him. And basically says it wasn't wouldn't ever get published, and if it hadn't have been for his rich wife, who was actually who, and so we found out pretty early on that Skarsgård's wife is the one who's bankrolling him, and and she's the breadwinner and the moneymaker and all and of this. Her, her father owns the publishing house that publishes. He's, he's like first. a he's like a media kind of magnate, owns a publishing house that publishes book, and he said to they tell the story at dinner where she is saying, yeah, my father said, you know never marry a writer or I'll, I'll like i'll disown you if you marry a writer and she goes so i go out and like marry the first writer that i meet <laughs> that's can we talk about that scene for a minute yeah sure so he i was gonna wrap up how we i'm sorry go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah so all all told um scarsgard gets humiliated he gets his passport from the consulate it's about to go home with his wife he's riding back on the the bus from the resort to the airport he's in the airport and during that whole time, he realizes that Gabby and these people, they, they do this almost every season. They come back and he, I guess it's open for, if it's open for interpretation of what he realizes, but he eventually does not get on the plane to go back home. And he stays at the resort during the rainy season. And that's kind of how the movie ends is him sitting on, 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 uh, by the pool, watching the rain go out of the, over the ocean. So. Yeah. Like in this monsoon. Right. Yeah. It, I think it's a really cool ending scene and it does leave it. It's like this elliptical um, ending. But I, I, the scene that really stood out to me was the moment where he's trying to get away from them. He, he had hidden his passport. So he grabs it. He gets on the bus. He's going to leave. And they track them down like in their own cars. And she's riding shotgun with a gun like hanging out of the car in these like drop top these old like drop tops and she's screaming screaming at him like james james where are you going little baby and then she stops you know they, she shoots at the bus they stop the bus and what does she say give us the coward james foster <laughs> screams it and just says come on little baby you're so pathetic a real sucky baby i just love these words that come out of her mouth there's so much fun and she just ramps it up at that at that moment in the movie you know she kind of gets progressively what bigger or more violent or kind of crazier and more manipulative as the film goes on but i think that scene is just i mean she's going for broke there and it's so effective 
in how she's controlling, how she is sort of driving this whole group of people. Right. And I just love that she calls him a sucky baby. Because <laughs> he is a sucky baby, by the way. Yeah. It, the whole breakdown of, like, because Skarsgård, by all measures, is a beautiful man. And, like, just the a picturesque... Um, he's hot. He's so yeah, hot. He's, he's just... He's statuesque. He's tall. He's built. Um, by all means, you should look up to him and and not look up to him. But you should. I mean, he should be an alpha male, <clears throat> right? Right. He Quote should be. He should male. be the, who he is in the Northmen, right? Where he's just taking control and fighting naked and like, you Being know, hot. And, right? And 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 as and it's such a breakdown of his character throughout the movie. You know, even at the beginning, where you're like, oh, he's being bankrolled by this rich wife. And you're like, well, okay, but he's still an artist, right? He's still a successful novelist. And, you know, he is trying to find And, and so we've all been there. We, we start, to, it's funny because how you excuse him throughout. And then by the time he gets off the bus and he can't stand up straight, granted, she's shooting at him, but he's holding his hands over. He's like barely walking. And the moment that he realizes that she never read his first book, that she never gave a shit, and he's been played from day one, and that look in his face of like, and I think that's the moment that breaks him to the point where obviously then he decides, what's he going back to? Like, I, I you know, you to say that she did him a service and to like find a sense of self in that moment of like, I am no one. Like I'm packing up these these urns full of the cremated ashes of the of my clones that have been killed and tortured and that I have manipulated and allowed to have happened. I'm gonna pack these up. But like, I'm I, am I? And again, there's you can make an argument of one was he the actual original? I don't think that's really the point. But 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 um, you know, the, who it, he's he's no one at that point. Right. He is those clones. He is he is just a. He's he's a kind of like palimpsest where you know part of him has been erased and like what is left, what what is still sort of sticking out, what is still sort of left of that original kind of drawing. This was something I took from this film too. Is that he is looking at his character, looking his looking at his identity and how he identifies himself, right, for better or for worse, as an artist, right, good or bad, right, that's notwithstanding. He has done something. He sees himself as a writer, as right. an artist. That slowly, like, goes away throughout the film and it kind of breaks down and breaks down. It's how he understands himself in the, wor- in, in the world. It's the lens he sees the world and himself through. And when you take that away, he's like... Well, he's so eager to 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 glom on to the, the sycophants and the, and the fans that he's clearly wanted his entire career. And the moment that someone says that they that they've read his book and they enjoyed it and are looking forward to what he's doing, there, he's he's done. He's tied into those people. Mm-hmm. Will do. Will be manipulated in whatever way that he that they will want to manipulate him, and and, and to, to do whatever they want just to get that kind of adoration. From two people he hasn't met. What I love about this movie, what I love um, as we come into it, we realize they've been there for a few days. And I, I love the idea that Mia Goth has been watching this couple for three days. That they come here every season and they've and seen someone, it's seen someone like this. And it's how easy it would have been to get his actual name and Google it and figure out what he's done and to know that he's this pathetic, you know, mess of a human being who 
can be because they don't try to do it with her. You know, they don't try to engage with her whatsoever. She has her own agency, has her own money. She doesn't need any of their adoration. And she doesn't want any. Right, right. Of course. And she just wants to, I mean, look, all she wants is to be with her husband on vacation. She's not asking for anything other than what she already has. And he is no fun at all. I mean, no, he really (laughs) is like a sucky baby. I mean, this is, he, they're there for his inspiration. That's the thing. Like, Mm -hmm. they are there for him. And he is so pleasant to be around even watching this film for a couple of heat i just don't want to be around this guy as dreamy looking as he is because of that and so she's just kind of had it she's just done at least there she's like let's just go home right and so of course they can like the, the, gabby and her husband and their group of people can just pinpoint that and pick that out and then just he's really just and, and everything and it's 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 almost like they're trying to do him a favor right everything that they do and they say that they're going to do for him is him destroying himself everything that the clone everything he makes the clones do so like at one point the very first clone he has is, is a clone he gets to watch that clone dying and then they kind of inoculate him to uh, watching the clone be tortured again as as the next clone they all get cloned again and then they watch their clone get their, their he watches his clone get to get his throat slit the next one is he uh they they make him believe that they're going to get revenge on the cop who's holding up his his passport and really in reality it's a bagged clone and it, and, and it turns out that it's just the clone of alexander skarsgård and that he's kicking him and, and they 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 want him to kill that clone. They want him to kill himself, essentially. And then the last one is they show him a clone that they have basically turned him into. The clone is this feral dog mm-hmm. of a clone that he has to kill because they've basically been mistreating it the entire time and, 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 and taken its entire humanity away. In the span of, what, three days? Mm-hmm. They've destroyed who he was down to a feral dog. And... It's like, it, I, I just think this story from, like I said, I liked Possessor, but I think this story from Cronenberg is so, so good. And there's so many layers to this. And like, it's just, I think what they show how this, how fragile this man was. And of course, I mean, obviously there's all the imagery of you know him suckling from Mia Goth's breasts, and it and turns like, into like a trippy kind of orgiastic. <laughs> right, it's a Cronenberg film, yeah. right? And you can. Yeah. <laughs> I always think I always laugh at those because like you have seen so many of them, right? But like these like head trip sequences, I I love to think about Cronenberg in an editing room going, no 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 no, not that little burst there. It's got to be <laughs> this one. Move it down a little bit. It's coming in too soon. Like. Just this fucking acid trip of a sexy right, scene. Right, right. I don't want to see and taking it really seriously. Just, <laughs> right. If we don't get this right, guys, the entire film's lost. And everything will fall apart. This has to hang together. <laughs> uh, I think so. What I really like about about this Cronenberg and what I like about Possessor in this film is how he. I mean, how he plays with the ideas of identity, um, of self, of who we are when sort of stakes are high, who we are when stakes are low, who who we are when we've been sort of ground down to nothing and have to kind of rebuild ourselves. Because, I mean, so much of what this film is or what it kind of, I think, comes down to is that sort of destruction of the inner self, um, the decomposition of, of, of souls, maybe. And looking at this in conjunction with Possessor, 
the use of masks, the use of doubles are, are consistent both. Again, I think this is more effective, and I think it's an improvement on Possessor. Those ideas carry over. I mean, there's definitely a sort of a variation of an, on a theme um, with these two films. I, you know, one of the things I like about Possessor is this weird, like, um, work-life separation. <laughs> you know, job is more important than family. <laughs> but, but in this, we get a kind of take on, uh, I wouldn't call it class warfare, but maybe... Right, but it, it's very much like the rich behaving badly. Right, in 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 the same way as is is, and we'll come to Triangle of Sadness later. But in the same way as Triangle of Sadness, in the same way as a movie like The Menu, um, and, and and various others. So it does bring in this idea of sort of like class and tourism, and a kind of uh, destructive tourism, a kind of uh, <laughs> even more destructive form of capitalism than, than we're living through. I think this is. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think this is an interesting uh, like companion piece and like an updated, an elevated version of The Purge, where you have okay. these, you have, and again, not to that like kind of base sense of, but you have this, you know, the haves versus the have-nots and the haves going off to this. It's, you know, obviously this is what we do, right? I mean, like rich Americans going off and being ugly in other countries so and taking advantage of you know the the native population and 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 just and, you know breaking laws going up whatever doing what you know and so this is an interesting idea of this of these people because by the time they get back on the on the 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 shuttle to go back to the airport they're talking about their workaday lives they're talking all. right they're talking about going back and doing you know housework and furniture work, right it's 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 it, <laughs> and so to them this is their purge this is how they get out and the fact that they it's almost it's almost uh noble what they're doing in a sense of like showing these people like i think the the what happens to Skarsgård in this movie where he stays behind to figure out potentially figure out who he is that they've stripped it all away and he still has some semblance of self to say you know what i'm not going to get on that plane to go back to a life that i know is bullshit i've been told is bullshit I've been exposed as a fraud. I'm going to stay here and figure out who the, I'm not going to go back and ruin the life of my wife mm. and, you know, and be, uh, uh, you know, be an albatross, be, you know, wait around her. I'm going to stay here and figure this out. I think that's the best case scenario for, and, and what's funny about that trip back to the, to the airport is they could not be less interested in Skarsgård on that bus at all. They <laughs> he do doesn't exist it. at that point. Right. He's done. They, yeah. they did what they wanted to come and that they did to him. I, you know, again, I know we won't get this because Cronenberg's not going to tell this story again, but this would be a, this would be a great, to see who they've done this to before. Right. To see the story flipped around to told from Goth's perspective. It's too mean, right? You can't right. tell that story, but um if fan fiction or whatever i want to i want to read that like i want to see someone's take on that because i think um this is a really uh, i i don't know i just think i thought this was really really well done yeah and the more and more i think about it the more and more excited i get about it. it's just because again all the other things like you know the purge just becomes this like just uh concaphony of violence and you know right. and bloodshed and, and, and nonsense it's just it's been done better when you do something like Assault on PC-13 or like by, by masters rather than right. just these movies that just exist as a I, thing. I have I have a question. And, and this kind of, I think, um, plays into, or I think it's a, it's a question that can be applied to something like Triangle of Sadness too. 
this is a film, you know, in, in a way about wealthy behaving badly, about the wealthy using um, developing nations as their own playground and the inhabitants there as their kind of playthings to an extent, right? We can kill this guy and set up this guy. Um, using these places as their vacation homes that they can just sort of like shit on and then like someone else will clean it up. How seriously do we take these these films, these allegories, when they're made by the wealthy about the wealthy? Or do we separate that? How do we? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know because I think I think uh, you you could make the same argument, I guess, for horror throughout its you know if, through you're always going to have. Um, a certain, and I think maybe maybe we look at it from perspective of of are they an auteur? Are they? An, or do we consider them an artist? Because again, if you're looking at something like The Purge, which I, I couldn't tell you who directed any of those, not probably. I mean, I could look it up. I get, but 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 as someone who's like who I think, if you're coming at it from a perspective of one either hunger, granted, I know Cronenberg's that falls into that nepo baby category. Um, but if you're looking at someone like Sean Cunningham who's doing Friday the 13th or, mm-hmm. or um, you know, Craven or Carpenter, these guys that are, that are struggling to get movies made and Ramian and they're, you know, they're trying to like put a mirror back. I don't know. I, 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 I do, I see your point, I, but I do think, you know, these, the, the good ones that happen tend to happen. The ones we continually talk about tend to happen from people who have staying power, who consistently tell this story. Um, and if we're, and if we're allowing others to continually tell the story, I don't know how you, obviously it's going to be, you're going to have to have some money to tell the story, right? Art doesn't come from, so I, I get, I get the point, but I don't think there's any other way for the story to be told. Right. And, and, and I mean, to clarify, I mean, I don't have necessarily an answer like for that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying we shouldn't watch these movies or take messages out of them because of or because of the sort of class position that the artist is coming from but it's a curious kind of like it's it's an intellectual you know thought experiment i think to think about that does it matter who's telling the story because you're right it's got to have backing somehow right i just it's kind of like well it's kind of like succession on on hbo i'm like who are the people telling the story like why should i actually give a fuck about any of this but just the, like you know people with money are commenting on other people with money and saying look at those bad people we're not like that but sometimes i just kind of you know wonder how we sort of yeah you know right decide what to take seriously and whatnot are we being manipulated and right and with with faux outrage or are we actually trying to get something across and to be fair to cronenberg there's a lot of stuff going on in this film so i don't want to just point out like this one thing but i do think that is a a a center piece of it that allows for this other stuff to happen and so i don't think you can't you know can't have that comment right i think it's interesting from a perspective of like if you take white lotus for example mm-hmm. and which is obviously rich people behaving badly but this and and it's weirdly sometimes they get their comeuppance and sometimes they don't i don't know what to take away from outside of just sort of entertainment but are we being are we being entertained to the point where we're being manipulated and trying to lay you know and and to ask to excuse the behavior at a certain point where it becomes passe and cute and, and acceptable because, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's just crazy old billionaire doing crazy old billionaire <laughs> shit. So right, we'll just let right. it go, right? <clears throat> right, yeah. And, I mean, this movie is not that, but, right. but I think, yeah, it's a bigger conversation. 
Okay, so speaking about White Lotus, should we move on to Triangle of Sadness? Let's move on. Let's do that. Um, and those are much more kind of akin, <laughs> right? White Lotus and Triangle of Sadness. Um, this is Ruben Austin's 2022 Palm Door winner right, from Khan. It's a second, crazy Palm Door winner, by the second way. Second Palm Door winner, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 2017's The Square also wins. So doing such a good job of breakdowns <laughs> today do you want to do you want to tell us about carl and yaya carl and yaya because <laughs> so, that's part one so triangle of sadness is uh it's when you're frowning it's the it's the triangle between your eyebrows and, and your forehead which i, is, I, I love it cat was like i fucking fell in love with that that terminology she's like oh i'm gonna use that all the time now. So why's good. your triangle of sadness showing can, like can you relax your triangle of sadness <laughs> Uh, so it's broken up into three parts. Um, the first part, we focus on two models um, that are in, in a relationship together, Carl and Yaya. And Carl is not quite as successful as Yaya. Um, and what happens, I would imagine, a lot in in, in male and female modeling. Are you speaking it, from experience? Yeah, yeah. When I was when I was stripping back in the day, I was, she was um, blue steel, Jason. <laughs> 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 the gender roles are reversed. No one saw that, but he did it. Right. <laughs> um, and they're they're having a, a conversation. So we, we were introduced to Carl, and he's kind of in this cattle call uh, for some sort of advertisement where he's got to be um, he's got to be funny, and and he, he has to take on these all these affectations uh, that they're going to do for this photo shoot. Um, and it's very much I wouldn't say it's belittling, but it's very much you know he is a piece of meat in this in this case. And so we see him kind of go through with all these other male models. And that's when we're told we're introduced to the terminology of triangle of sadness. We see him after the, after the shoot, after the audition is over with his, with Yaya, who's his model girlfriend, his supermodel girlfriend. And um, they're out at dinner and uh, they have this whole conversation around traditional gender roles and who pays for dinner and, and basically, Carl, and kind of like in this scenario, in the in the infinite infinity pool scenario, where Carl is with a woman who's highly more way more successful, way more financially stable than he is, but he still is trying to ne- to negotiate his place in this relationship as a man and and as is the masculine side of the relationship for whatever that's well, worth. And she offered to pay for dinner beforehand, right? This is <laughs> so it's this very awkward conversation where he he wants to be seen as a masculine force in their relationship and to take on the traditional masculine things, but also is not capable of doing that. And so that when he reaches for the check and she doesn't reach for the check at all and she just offered it up earlier, he starts to feel slighted because she doesn't they then at that point he wants to become equals in the relationship mm-hmm. and they don't want to succumb mm-hmm. to these typical gender roles. The first 30, 45 minutes of this are, are, are very, very interesting. And what I was not, I had no idea where, because I knew from the previews where this was going, but I didn't, right. I didn't know how this was leading into that. So it establishes like so much though. It and, really and does. I, and I love the scene like in the Uber where Carl is like, yeah, yeah, I, 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 want, us to move be, I want us to move beyond traditional gender roles. I want us to, you know. Sometimes you're the man. Sometimes I'm the man. And she's like just on her phone looking at him like, you're crazy. She's like, he's like, I want us to be more like best friends. And she goes, oh, I don't want to sleep with my friends. <laughs> and he's like, no, you're not listening to me. And then of course, then the Uber driver is like, you have to fight. <laughs> right. You have to like stand up for yourself. So. <laughs> right. So after they go back to their apartment, um, we see them on a luxury cruise um, and we see them with a bunch of other 
upwardly mobile, but mostly older couples who Super are rich. Yeah, the, the ultra wealthy. So, so we see a, a weapons magnate. We see a man who's a tech magnate, who's a newly a nouveau rich, uh, you know, tech entrepreneur. And uh, so we see kind of an upstairs, downstairs type of scenario where we see the crew getting ready and trying to impress this uh, group of people and trying to kind of hide all of the underpinnings of the things that have to happen on a cruise to, for them to have their, um, you know, their, their, their special time or, you know, their, their grand vacation that goes off without a hitch. You can't tell them no. <laughs> right. Only yes. And so we see, we see the, we see the crew preparing to, to introduce or to bring the, the group, the people onto the boat. Uh, we meet the people on the boat themselves. And then we're brought into a, a captain's dinner for the night. And the boat is, is, and this is probably where you've seen a lot of the, uh, you've seen anything about triangle sadness. You've seen this. The boat is um, in choppy waters, and um, throughout the movie, throughout as we've been on the boat, Woody Harrelson is the captain, but he's been drunk in his cabin the entire time. Uh, so everyone else has been doing all this stuff around him, and um, <laughs> they come up on the uh, to, to get served at the dinner. They all meet the captain. There's a whole real funny um, bit about how one of the the women on the boat wants the sails clean because the sails are dirty and there are no sails on the boats. And she keeps insisting that she's seen sails and they're, they're filthy. And Woody Harrelson's like, you know what? We'll clean this. It's fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so they, everyone gets seated at dinner. Um, but the, the entirety of the ship is rocking back and forth and they're serving these like oysters and like kind of uh, odd dishes kind of, yeah. and, and and some of the food went bad, right? Because right. one rich woman made everyone go swimming, made all the staff go swimming. <laughs> and at one point, the chef's like, "You know, the food's going to go bad, right?" And and sort of the main concierge, I guess we would call her, right, is like, "Doesn't matter. We all have to do this." <laughs> So there's this mix of like, you know, seasickness and food poisoning. So essentially this turns into a, a vomitorium. I mean, yeah. and, and, and to the, the and it, it goes on, the scene goes on forever. It is, I mean, it is brutal to it's watch gross. it. Gross. <laughs> it's and all throughout the entire thing. Woody Harrelson, who didn't order anything other than a fr hamburger and French fries because he doesn't eat fine foods. Or he's not into fine dining. I don't dining. enjoy fine dining. <laughs> <laughs> so he's fine the entire time. Um, and everyone else gets carted off to their, you know, to their staterooms because they are all they're all sick. They're puking in the halls or puking in the in the dining room. Uh, the only only other guest member who's not puking is a Russian oligarch, basically, who then he sells shit <laughs> right who gets into a, a philosophical uh socialism versus or communism versus capitalism debate with woody harrelson who they're both drunk they're both trading shots and both reading quotes from marx and, and all these uh, stalin and reagan and thatcher yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because the, the roles are reversed where the, the the russian is the one who's espousing capitalism and and of course, Woody Harrelson's the one who's espousing socialism, communism, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, he says he's not a communist. He's a socialist. He's a shitty social, right. shitty social, shitty socialist. That's a joke from the movie. It's a shitty socialist. So out on the deck of the boat, um, we are back with the, um, you know, the Russia, the older couple who are, who are arms dealers, essentially. <laughs> and they're talking about something I forget exactly what now. And over the railing of the ship, a hand grenade comes in. They pick it up. 
and state, oh, is this one of ours? And the ship blows up. <laughs> They've been taken over by pirates. <laughs> and so the ship blows up and everyone's cast ashore to this island. And then the uh, upstairs, downstairs roles completely reverse. It the becomes like some Hobbesian nightmare. Right. The people who know how to do things, know how to start a fire, know how to cook, start taking over. Uh, and putting the rich people who don't There's know how to do it. That's true. There's, There's only one that's a cooking point. You'd start a fire. Puts everyone else in their place. So the, the one person who who is still alive um, from the ship, who knows how to cook and clean, then starts to um, you know exert her power over the rest of the people. She takes Carl as a lover um, and starts and basically uses him as a, as a boy toy so she can feed him, you know, <laughs> and... Um, eventually, Yaya goes exploring, and it turns out that the island that they're on is also just a resort island. <laughs> so Abigail goes with her. Because so, so, Abigail knows. The, Abigail knows where they are. Or the sovereign, right? The sovereign, the, the, the woman in charge, like, yeah, goes with her. And then, yeah, they discover that elevator shaft in like the middle of the beach right but i mean this this then like sets up this like elliptical ending too which i think is interesting in the film and how he leaves it really open-ended so what we see is yaya basically running towards the the resort and abigail behind her with a huge rock raising it over to her head so she can keep i mean the idea is that she can keep status quo she kills yaya and keeps it keeps everyone still kind of under her thumb on the quote unquote abandoned island. Yeah. And Yaya has offered to help her, give her a better job, maybe as her assistant. <laughs> Back at the encampment, because there's a there's a woman, I believe she's German. Uh, she only can speak like one line in line in German because she's been at least partially paralyzed by a stroke. Mm-hmm. So she's in a life raft and this kind of um I don't know, canal street like hawker comes goes by like selling goods and she calls him over and figures out like oh god like you know this is where we are and so i think you get the idea that the other people come and and sort of you know figure this out too because we see carl running through the jungle or the forest towards yaya and abigail or you know in that direction right and so it's kind of like does he get there first is that why he's running is it you know whatever so but it's an interesting ending i think it's an interesting way to end that film and you know, does Abigail go, hmm, maybe being her assistant is better than sort of being king on a a deserted island where eventually things are going to go bad? Right, right. Uh, I mean, this this is an interesting... I think it's a lot of fun for yeah. as, as, as ridiculous... I mean, for all the things that it has to say, I think he, he imbues it with such whimsy and fun. Like, it never goes way too serious. Like, right. even when they're talking about communism and capitalism versus each other, it's still done with these two drunken guys who like each other. And who don't really want to change each other's mind. They're not. They're not angry or. They're just having fun. <laughs> right. The 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 opening, you know, forty five minute salvo. It, that, that's the most serious that the film gets. And even then, it's still done with you know yeah. a little bit of you know it's, it's still kind of airy and light because because Yaya's indifference to Carl is just funny in that sense. And her kind of like real direct honesty of I realize I'm really manipulative. <laughs> manipulative. I enjoy being manipulative. And he's like, and I love his response. It's amazing that you can tell me that. <laughs> and then she just goes, I just want to be a trophy wife. Right. You know, this right. is it. Like we're together out of convenience because it's sort of those followers and gets us things. Right. But 
I want to be a trophy wife. You're not going to give me that. He's like, I will make you love me. (laughs) So it it introduces all these really interesting ideas, especially about beauty is power, kind of appearance is capital. Yeah. 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 But then also this idea of fluidity and gender roles and, and sort of when one is asking for that, another wants to be traditional. And I think that is a, is a kind of interesting juxtaposition and interesting, interesting confluence of, yeah, the influence culture with this, this gender role, like, you know, fluidity. Yeah. But it sets up how we kind of view the rest of the film too. That gives us a grounding place to then like these ideas are already swirling around. So that by the time Yaya and Carl are at dinner with the Russian oligarch, he's like, Oh, so the looks paid for the trip. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> right, because he's a conventionally unattractive man. He's yeah, he's old and like doesn't really give a shit. He's unkempt. He's <laughs> yeah, big old belly. Right. Uh, <laughs> I love that he has Nutella flowing in. He has Nutella airdrop from a helicopter in a uh, big like uh pelican case, right. waterproof pelican case to keep it safe. <laughs> it's like two jars. Stella, which comes back later when he's like on the beach on the island he, when he's like can i help and and abigail or one of them goes yeah you can help get some nutella <laughs> yeah the the I, all of it yeah I, I, it just all of the ugliness of of them and and just the ridiculousness of it i i think that's what ruben does so well in this case is he realizes how ridiculous the story that he is that he's actually telling that he actually has to tell and so then making the center point of your movie a you know, pie in the face kind of vomit fest yeah. also does a does it a great service to like hey, look this is fucking ridiculous we like the fact that we're even having this conversation there's like the fact that you have you know that we're trying to argue that a meritocracy exists in this world <laughs> right it's ridiculous right, right. And, right. And, but yet we're here and like and yeah and some guy sold his invention someone get someone made you know at the right place at the right time someone right. made their entirety of uh, of money based off the suffering of other people um <laughs> the, the one person who's driving them around in a luxury lot yacht is a communist (laughs) and he knows i mean right so he's like he's like i'm terrible at like you know sort of living by my beliefs look at what i'm doing right do you think this is like i'm a little curious if you think the middle section goes on a little too long or if it's the weakest part of the film i'm also curious how you feel about osland in general do you ever think he's too sort of like tongue-in-cheeky and not or you know a little too winky you know wink wink nudge nudge and if he's not or if he could be a little more serious because i feel like that's kind of the knock on him right right i think i think it's needed man i think i look i i think that if every one of these movies is women talking or 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 or, and, I, and I'm not going to bad. Obviously, I'm, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I, don't, I was going to make a mansplaining joke. <laughs> if every woman, if every movie is mansplaining, women, if every movie is women's talking, pay what they're really saying. That's, that's the Zucker, that's the Zucker version of woman talking. That <laughs> is mansplaining. Mansplaining. Got two words. <laughs> No, and I, I don't like. Maybe I, maybe it's unfair to point the finger. That's just because it's on top of mind. No, but, but it's I mean, also, but it's a heavy film, right? Yeah. So if every movie that we have, if every if 
every message film that we have, which I guess you could argue whether triangles, but I think that I think there's something. I think there's a story. I think there's there's something. The point that he's trying to get across isn't every film kind of a message film in some. I, but I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm being fucking reductive. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. These big kind of like clearly there's something deeper here that I'm trying to say. I'm Look, sorry. We're gonna get to the deep dive of the Transformers films. I promise you that's gonna happen. Look, man, sentient beings that can change their. Sh- Look, what I don't understand is, do they feel pain? I don't clearly. Like, I want to talk about how Kant's categorical imperative plays in with transform. I'm sorry, sorry, go. I transform, therefore I am. I, I, uh, I. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, get back to this idea. <laughs> so I think I think this is there aren't enough of these movie of these independent smaller films that are that are funny like this, that, that, that are, are light and still have topical things to say. And so I, I, I get the idea that it, you know, but you can't be stoic and serious about this all the entire time. And if you, you, I mean, cause again, you're going to shut out a large part of your audience. If you bring people into this and they take away from this, this idea of, you know, let maybe we now maybe 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 I've been wrong about white privilege or maybe I've been wrong about and again I don't necessarily I don't even know what Ruben's goal is in this movie necessarily what we're taking out of it I, I think I I would say I get the idea but I don't think that I I don't think you see anybody else really doing what he's doing sure. from a perspective of let's take a comedic take at this let's take it I mean let's take the truly truly taking the piss and punching up and like and let and and also punching sideways to seeing how quickly power corrupts right when the when the downstairs gets access to power they immediately corrupt and 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 you can understand why they do uh, so I, I don't know I, I think i think if people come into triangle of sadness because they want to see poop and fart jokes all all for it if they take away something more than just than just the yeah. scatological portion of it and i think and again i think to me when i was watching this a two and a half hour movie goes by screamingly yeah. fast because yeah. I'm not having to sit there and weigh over, oh, fuck. I mean, like they're treating these people like shit again. And again, I love those movies too, but it's, but this, I think this is important. I, I think these have a place for sure. And I think I like what he's trying to, I like how he's trying to take the piss and still trying to have a good time yeah. with it. Yeah, no, I'm, that's great. Right. And I, I think, I think that the scatological stuff was needed because, of course, it's bringing these people down. Not just one notch, but several notches. There's there's a really great movie moment where sort of the lights go out and the power goes out and somebody's walking through the halls with a flashlight and shining the light on these rich people and their life preservers covered in shit and dirt and look miserable. And you just think the that's how we find refugees sometimes right. afloat in the middle of the ocean. And now we've just turned these people into that. And I think that's really great. I think that's that's really clever, right? I was, I really enjoyed this. I, um, it, yeah, it was it was a breeze to get through. Um, and it's funny without being, I think, too funny, right? Because I mean, you said comedic take, and, and I mean, I find it more satirical, and that like the overall comedy is is tamped down a little bit, right? That it comes out in these weird conversations that get had, um, you know, and in like the vomitorium jokes and stuff like that. I I think it's really hard to do too. I I, I think if you look at something like 
Alexander Payne's downsizing, which he's clearly trying mm-hmm. to say something about consumerism and blah, 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 blah. And then completely loses the thread, right? When, you know, and again, I'm not to completely shit on Alexander Payne. I've liked a lot of his movies. And you but like I, Pinot Noir. I do like Pinot I won't drink any motherfucking Merlot, but <laughs> I do like Pinot Noir. Um, such a weird, like, uh, like pop culture side note of how that actually affected the sale of Merlot. Right, I know, um, I know. Like, <laughs> just tanked it. <laughs> Fucking weird. This is this capital. I mean, ooh, the market. Right. Did, uh, just <laughs> so I, I, I want. I don't want to. I, I, I said I, I, I like what he's trying to to do, and I think if you can do it well, I, I don't think everything has to have be a, to, to be a serious thing. And I think if you look at something like The Daily Show and and what you know these these kind of farcical. Um, satirical outlets that can take the piss while still letting people laugh and maybe learn a little bit, and then you know, I'm all for it. Well, this goes back to your idea about stand-up comedy as well. Right, right, absolutely. If you can sort of like come to these things with a matter of curiosity and self-awareness, then you can talk about almost anything because you're not making judgments, right? You're actually exploring, and I think that's kind of the same idea here. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to ask if you've seen his other other films not not force majeure in the square but his earlier um because he's is he he's swedish he's i think swedish, so right? he's got an umlaut so it's got to be one of those countries <laughs> an o he's <laughs> got, got an umlaut jesus um and his name's ruben he's not a sandwich that was a bad joke we'll cut that out <laughs> But I was curious if you've seen like his earlier. I haven't. Okay, I haven't. I haven't either. And I think, but people overlook those. People don't talk about those um, when they're talking about this one and the and the other two. I I've seen his his short that was called Incident at a Bank. It's about a bank robbery kind of gone wrong. It's really cool. I think it won it won one of the bigger awards at the Berlinale a, a while ago. But it's like this filming of a bank robbery from like across the street on top of another building and so it looks like a kind of model of this thing that's happening it's really clever and really also whimsical for this like terrible incident where people like right stuff. so right um yeah i'll take it out yeah. all right so should we get into our female-centric films yeah. one. yes yes let's do so let's shift and talk about um women women talking let's talk about women talking before we get into summary i want i want to ask a question so i am not mennonite if you if i was curious i was curious especially because of how like fine you are of technology <laughs> how long my and beard electricity is. Right. Yeah, I mean, your beard is long and the hat's kind of and okay. i'm always talking about barn raising <laughs> look it's an important cultural pastime Anyway, so this is a film based on the novel by Miriam Tews. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. That was based on real events. So it's a film based on a book that was based on real events. Based on a novel based on real events that happened in the Manitoba colony, which was a remote, isolated Mennonite community in Bolivia between 2005 and 2009. So the novel was an imagined reaction to real events. The author called it an act of female imagination. The film puts that on the screen. This is an act of female imagination. I'm curious about what that means or what that's saying or what that conveys. Or could it be misconstrued? But the deep questions. <laughs> deep questions. No, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. I, I, I think... I mean, just, I don't know. And from the surface, it just seems like 
you know, people watched The Martian and thought some people actually thought that actually happened. I, I, so I think there's there's a okay. por- there's a portion of concerned, and I think it's probably can it's probably sticking with the author's intent, right? Is to mm-hmm. say, look, this is a somewhat of a think piece of what could have potentially happened. Look, this whole movie is allegorical, right? I mean, oh, the one hundred percent, yes. So I mean, like, so to to put that forward, maybe so you don't get so caught up on the actual outcome. You get caught up in because again, women talking, right? It's listen. It's the conversation that's being had. It's not the women taking action. It's not women. It's just them, you know, espousing their thoughts or feelings and, and trying to, to to formulate a plan for themselves. Um, so I think that's maybe that's part of it is is to not get not get sucked in and to get pulled into the. This is not a movie where there's going to be happy, resolved endings and that everything's going to be wrapped up in a neat little bow at the end of this and that we're going to see men come to justice or we're going to see women find themselves or all or, or all agree. Um, so I, I, I like that idea of, of putting that out there because because there's so much about this movie that that just like from a from a layman's perspective and a, and, a, and a taking a step back of this like this doesn't make sense it's 2010 it's it's you know it's it, these women are uneducated they've been they've been you know purposefully un, un, uneducated and so you the initial thought of like immediately coming in and thinking well how the hell does this actually happen mm-hmm. like how is it how is it 2010 and this is happening how is it 2023 whatever um so I, I don't know. I don't know. What are you what are your thoughts? Well, I, I I think it's a really interesting statement. I think that it is I guess one of the things I worry about is that it gets taken the wrong way. So I read it as the filmmakers also the and um wrote the screenplay as well. So I include her in this statement, right? The filmmakers are saying in a powerful way, right, women made this, right? This is an act of female imagination. It's an act of women taking an active role in imagining what would happen if they did that or if we did that. So I like it. I think it's I think it's a a, a very kind of clear, you know, powerful statement, right? Of, of this is who made this film. I mean, we you know, we could go back to the Woman King and go, look, this is a film about black women made by black women, right? Right. In a way for black. It's the same thing here, I think, right? Where women made this for women to inspire imagination. And what I, again, I don't want to put like words in anybody's mouth, but I, I think because it doesn't, I don't want someone to see that statement and go pie in the sky kind of thing. Right. Sure. Like, oh yeah. Or because, or question because the actuality of this. Right, right, right. Question the atrocities that actually happened to them, right? I mean, right. That, 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 that's not part of the imagination piece because we don't see that, right? That we don't, we correct. So, yeah. I guess we do to a certain extent. I mean, like, we see, we see the aftermath, and we see what I really love about like the voiceovers who we see them feeling the hands that are gone, right? Right, that have disappeared. So, I mean, I think, but this is this is what's so great about her direction. We don't see that, but we see kind of the remnants. We see what's happened. We see the broken bodies, the broken faces, right? We see the pregnancies that come because of these attacks and these rapes. We don't have to see those actual things to understand how fucking terrible they were. Right, right. right. And 
there's and i know i'm getting ahead like we haven't summarized this thing but we have this like early shot where the camera sort of follows this oh she's got to be like five four and the voiceover tells us that it happened to everyone and that is i didn't catch that until the second time i watched this film and i i was like that is horrifying and really powerful the way that she conveys that idea that this happened to even the youngest yeah, the true story immediately is yep. beyond gruesome. It's right. not. It's it's unfathomable and it's it's awful, to say the least. I don't. I, I, there are right. no words to no. describe I, to give it the gravitas and the and the, right. and the horror that it actually was. And this happened to hundreds of women over a long period of time, and and essentially, you know, forgiven. I mean, I, I don't necessarily. I mean, you know, ignored and right. you know and and excused and and all the things that you see happen but on such a grand scale to these women that it it it's mystifying so so let's sort of summarize this right so um this is set in 2010 right and women in this isolated religious colony discover that they've been being drugged and sexually abused and assaulted uh by the men in the colony you know in their sleep um when it's discovered some men well some men are arrested for their own protection right they get they get found out they get sort of in the film they get like locked up in a barn and one of the women goes after one of the men with a scythe so the elders in the community calling the cops the cops arrest them for their own protection the rest of the men leave to go post bail and tell the women you have two days to forgive the men and that goes back to what you just said so during that time the women come together and decide to vote on what to do stay and do nothing stay and fight or leave and so they have a vote the vote is tied between leave and stay and fight. Um, three families, I believe members of three prominent families within the colony are elected to make the decision for the rest of the women. And so they go up into a hayloft in a barn and they talk and they decide what to do. Um, also, there is a man named August, played by Ben Wishaw. He is from a family who was excommunicated, but he has returned to act as school teacher. He's there taking the minutes, because like you said, these women aren't educated. They don't know how to read and write. So he's there as kind of scribe to, to keep a record. That's the, that's the movie. Um, and at the end, they come to the decision to leave. And that's kind of where we leave the film. And so, yeah, we watch a debate happen of stay and fight or leave and, and form your own community. And really powerful performances, I thought. Yeah, uh, particularly Claire Foy and, and Bruno Mari. Uh, is that right? Bruno Mara. Uh, Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rooney Mara. So Rooney Mara is like the philosopher of the group. And she's the one who's pregnant. Right, right. Uh, um, yeah, um, by or through rape. Right? But we also have like Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy are kind of like, you know, different sides of the same coin to use a cliche, but because they are both filled with such rage that's directed kind of in different directions. Jesse Buckley just fucking hates everyone in that room. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I forget what she says to Rooney Mara. Um, Rooney Mara says, what does she say? Oh, this is why I called Rooney Mara like the philosopher. Because she's like, we must first define whatever. We must first understand what we are fighting for, right? We are women without a voice. Even the animals are safer, right? And then she says, what is forgiveness that's forced upon us true forgiveness 
<laughs> Jesse Buckley's just like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> like you're just speaking not. She's like, she thinks everyone is saying nonsense whenever they say the something. Clock, the clock is ticking. What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> right, right. But it's, it makes for a really interesting dynamic, especially between those three. And and Foy, you you come to understand that she's in an abusive relationship with her own husband, right? Is that the one? No, that's Buckley. That's Buckley still? Yeah. Okay, so, okay. so it's um, Buckley is... I'm going to be honest, the bonnets and a lot no, of the dress it's, it's, and, and the color scheme got me confused about who, who no, everyone was. Right, and in the names, I couldn't follow right. who was who. I know that um, Rooney Mara was Ona, Claire Foy was Salome, and then I, 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 I don't know who like anyone else was. Oh, Ivy, Judith Ivy. Was it Judith Ivy? Mm-hmm. Yes. Was Agatha. She was Agatha. She was amazing. And then what was... Uh, Francis McDormand's character named Scarface Jans. Like, that's a cool name. It shouldn't be in this movie. Like, I, I want, I want to see Scarface Jans and something else. I want to see right. Francis McDormand play Scarface Jans and something. The cool, kind of but... like same character, right? Because she looks like she's ready to fight anyone. Right. Yeah. She seems like she, she should be mean. definitely leading up some sort of mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight women mafia. I'm sorry. That's the... And I think I think clearly McDormand is there to get funding for this movie. I think because she's not in it long enough. I know she was a producer, but I think she's there to like. I think McDormand's like, I'm gonna be in this. Hopefully, get you some dollars. I'm gonna step away and I'm gonna take the smallest role I possibly can because I want these younger women and these younger actresses to take forefront and to start telling this story. Yeah, I, yeah. and they were, they, I, they, they really were just so good. Yeah, I, I hate to, I don't, hope I don't sound dismissive when I'm losing the threat. And it, it, I do think this movie bears watching multiple times. I, good, I, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to be able to pick up everything in, in during, a, during a single viewing. Um, enough, obviously, that kind of goes with any good allegory, right? I mean, you're not going to be able to pick up all the threads um, out of a single screening of this. Um, Except for when I watched Lost. I understood that immediately. <laughs> Spin. <laughs> First three seasons were pretty good. I'm just. Uh... <laughs> nope. You get to live with that one. That's not me, man. Sorry. <laughs> you interrupted us talking about the Academy Award-winning screenplay of Women Talking. With, um, with the, with, with the... <laughs> sorry. Sorry. No, but I forgot. I forgot that that, that Polly won the Sarah Polly won the the screenplay Oscar. Um, did I thought Toes helped with that? Maybe I'm just wrong. I'm not sure. I know that Polly accepted it. Um, it might have been a story by credit for Toes. I mean, yeah, like, it looks so like it looks like it is. Yeah, uh, it doesn't work. She has a screenplay credit, but I mean, I think, but I know they worked. I'm pretty sure they worked closely together. So. Look, this is a movie that it needs to be taught. It doesn't need to. It needs. I mean, it needs to be seen for sure. But I think there needs to be additional. I th- I I mean, because again, to me, and we talked about this off mic, but like. To me, this is not, and I don't want to diminish it, but this is not just a woman's story. This is not. This is a person of color story. This is a. This is a queer story, because when I'm sitting there watching it, and that, you know, you fall into the same trappings of how can these fucking women allow themselves to get caught into this situation in 2010? How can they find themselves? And again, they didn't ask. They were put there. They were born there. They were born into this. And, and so this story of women facing this impossible timeline and an impossible decision and trying to talk through it and trying to decide to whether they should destroy their lives or destroy their lives and which is better for them. This is the same decision that's being made by, and again, not to diminish, diminish the women of this movie and of this incident and of women, period, but also this is a story of people of color and that have been put in this situation 
queer people who have been born into this situation and do they decide to stay and fight and have a voice and to have agency and to find themselves and can they do it and the fear that's behind that or do they give up everything that they've known and for the promise of a better day someplace else and can they do that this i think it's such an important fucking movie Mm -hmm. i i I think it's it's so beautifully done polly does such a good job of of telling this story and these actresses do such a great job of telling this story that it's it's heartbreaking but again it's one of those movies i think that there needs to be every screening of this should have a fucking post-screening discussion and by women you know talking about what's going on you're trying not to say women talking (laughs) right (laughs) so i just i just want to like add on to this because i think this is a brilliant point that this really is a a true intersectional movie even though all we see you know are white women talking that's the community it takes place in but again any good piece of art you can transpose right onto different groups and that's what makes it such a good like i said intersectional film the men and saying you have two days to forgive us forgive them right or you'll be excommunicated is frankly like any time the cops kill an unarmed young black man and say slavery ended 200 years ago what right. the fuck are you doing what, right. what's your problem right and saying like look we're not all bad <laughs> just just deal with it just like look we're here to help right and then and then when they get upset going look you forgive us or we're going to come in here with riot gear and then people from the outside going, why are people burning down their own environments? Well, what the fuck do you think? Right. Because they've just been told you have no real option. And when you're faced with no real option, right, yes, you can leave. But a lot of times it just kind of comes out how it's going to come out. The rage in Claire Foy, the rage in Jesse Buckley, that's what that is. That's setting your neighborhood on fire. Yeah. Right. I, that's that's looting shops. Right. That's I'm not again, I'm not trying to make less or light of any of that, but that's what it, it, it that's it, a stonewall riot, right? I mean, right. Well, and and also, you know, the atheist in me is sitting here watching this and screaming, you're still fucking praising God and you're still wanting to keep your faith. And again, all part of it, right? Is like, am I going to burn down everything? Do I still not want the things that I sp- I'm supposed to want? Like, I, am I still not supposed to love the things, the, the portion of the things that, I, that, are, that are holding me back, that are keeping me oppressed? Can I not still love the good parts of that? It's so fucking heartbreaking. And so, and like, it's so important. And again, it's horrifying that it happened. It's so fucking important to show that this is a 2010 story. Right. And not a fucking 1885 story. Right. 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 I mean, because people can't imagine that colonies like this actually exist when they are still there. Right. right? And there's a reason they went from Canada to Bolivia, not to belittle Bolivia. Right. But (laughs) but they were granted more freedoms and they were granted land by by going there. Right. I mean, this was this would have been the like original manitoba colony was in manitoba right but but you know in the early 1900s late 1800s canada started to enforce this is how you will educate your children and they were like no we won't and so they just kept moving right they right. were in paraguay at one point before they ended up in bolivia um yeah i hope this movie doesn't get lost to time 
I hope that this movie gets, I, I, I you know, I, I know it wasn't going to, when it came out probably too um, late in the year, but I know it wasn't going to win Best Picture. I'm really, really glad that it won Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily know how impactful that's going to be. It's hard to say how much, obviously, any film, right, how much societal impact it's going to, I mean, because everything's such, such so transactional and so tossed away at the times. It's hard, it's hard to predict what, stays the course of time are you saying that like culture shifts and changes <laughs> at, at, at an exceedingly uh quicker rate it seems days? it seems that way in my in my feeble gen x mind i i i i, I get scared and i go and yell at the clouds to stay where they are and no they, one can see moving. but we're both wearing flannel <laughs> and uh our sony walkmans are on the table <laughs> Yes. I made you a mixtape. So I, I hope that this, I hope that this has some sort of, has legs. And I hope this is the type of film that I would hope people are teaching in classes. If there's a women's studies class or, or, or it, you know. Well, not in Florida. <laughs> right, right. Sorry. Right. And but, it, but, is, but I think this, this, this is why this film is so important. Right? Because absolutely. of moments like that, because there are, there are people in forms of power trying to take away majors like gender studies or african-american studies and and who clearly don't understand what critical race theory is and they're just like scared by everything that's why i think films like these are really really important and it's our mission to basically proselytize yeah yeah hey because to dismiss it is then to again to just then dismiss uh, diversity and inclusion training and, and programs and this rollback of of this pendulum swing back to horseshit is 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 disheartening to say the least so to see a movie like this come out i'm hoping that it has legs i'm hoping that people find it i hope that um people seek it out and don't dismiss it because of the the faux period piece-ness of it well, but, but it's not a faux period piece no no, no I, mean, I know but, but i mean but you I, mean that like kind of okay gotcha right i i you know and again it's it's i, it's, like, it's I a, thought you watched movie i thought you understood <laughs> what you it's important for the cat for the for the um just tell this story but i was thinking about this like in a sense of like if this had been um told in a Lars von Trier dogville type of way, mm-hmm. kind of an art town type of set mm-hmm. where it's just where it wasn't so made up and it was just um I don't know, it, traditional garb but not with the barn trapping and the and the things like gotcha. that. It was just I, I in a guy I'm a stand for those movies. But yeah. uh, but I, I and so but I still think I think I think this is this is brilliantly done and i think it's this out of all the ones that we talked about today are is ridiculously important and probably as the, the films that I've seen um, you know, over the past few years, this is this kind of goes to the top of movies. I think I really yeah. hope people seek out. Yeah, and and just one more note on this. I I I want to touch just briefly on Ben Wishaw and the character of August, and that the fact that he is there to record, he's there to listen. He's not there to to interject his thoughts or opinions. And to his credit, he does not. And if he ever veers into that territory, one of the women tell him to shut up and he listens. You know, in the novel, he's the narrator because he wrote it. And I think it's a great choice by the filmmakers to have a a girl, a, a young female narrator have the voiceover. That really, I think, shifts the focus back on on the women. Now, I mean, the choice in a novel to do to do that to have August be the narrator makes sense because it's written, it's written short, right. right? So, and I think that's the kind of conceit, or that's the that's the structure. But I like here how he is portrayed as 
I'm here as an ally. That is it. And it's not like, you know, the, the we've talked about sort of the male white savior thing. He's not trying to do any of that. Um, and I think it's a good depiction, right, of, of I don't know, how we should act. Right. So. The last line that's uttered is, your story will be different than mine. I, I mean, it's, it's a powerful line. I hope it's actually true. Yeah. Let's move on to some actual real comedy, Jason. So tell us, tell us because because this is right up your alley. This, I, I love this film too, but tell us about nine to five. Nine to five. What a way to make a living. Uh, I was pulling up the actual names because I, I, I need to get the last names right. Um, so this is a movie set at the burgeoning time of Reaganomics and and nineteen eighty. Um, so we're we're we are. Um, part of this big uh, company called Consolidated, and we follow three women. Uh, Jane Fonda, who plays a recent divorcee. I can't see that, but you'll have to read them off for me. It's fine. <laughs> I can't see that. <laughs> this is why when someone wears glasses, they wear glasses. No, I have context, in, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a transitional oh. phase where I I, I I don't want to get into it. I, I'm, I'm in a really gotcha. bad space. Gotcha. <laughs> we are learning so much today. <laughs> friends <laughs> look bifocal contacts don't work well for me or i haven't adjusted well in the year that i've been wearing them so i'm, I'm in this oh, yeah. bifocal con- my glasses are bifocal yeah so i know I we're old as fuck right no, but no, i mean no, like we're it's just cool yeah we're look, I have, like, look these, these are like no line bifocal, in your pants so, like, is cool right call me miles davis <laughs> so we're following three women jane fonda uh who what is her character's name if you since you can read that on your off on your screen judy burnley judy burnley uh, she is a recent divorcee coming into the workforce for the first time. Uh, we follow Lily Tomlin, Violet Newstead, Violet Newstead, which is a great name, uh, who is the old hand has been at the consolidated corporation for 12 years. She's a senior supervisor that kind of runs the, uh, the office pool of women, the secretarial pool of women, um, on, on in this big multinational co- company. And then we meet also, we also follow Dolly Parton. Doralee Rhodes. Doralee Rhodes, who is uh, Mr. Hart, Dabney Coleman, who is our foil in this movie. He is the boss, the, the bigoted, sexist, asshole boss, right? Uh, who's gotten there on the shoulders of the women that he stepped on to get to his position. Uh, um, Violet has has trained him, and he jumped up because of his being of his maleness to a senior vice or just to a vice president in this company. And basically, he makes the lives of these women hell. Um, Doralee is his executive assistant, um, his personal secretary. She takes care of, she takes his letters. She takes care of buying things for his wife. She is also subject to his sexual advances because it's Dolly Parton, and <laughs> Dolly Parton is gorgeous. Um, and she has a, she has a sweet Texas drawl, and and uh, Dabney Coleman thinks he can take advantage of her. So we see these three women kind of in this workaday world all trying to make it in their different ways violet is um, lily tomlin is a single mother um and she's uh trying to balance that although we don't see her kid come back into play they just disappear <laughs> he gives her um, a joint he's gone so so uh, we like any good drug right so we see we see uh jane fonda judy's first day at the job and violet is training her uh, and we see Laura Lee, um, they basically kind of shun her at the beginning because they think that she's sleeping with 
uh, Mr. Hart, uh, and they kind of look down on her because of that. Of course, she's not sleeping with him, but um, but that's the impression the office gets. Uh, and then through a series of events, um, we basically you come to know these women a little bit better. And they start to become friends. Basically, what happens, um, uh, Mr. Hart's wife comes up to the office, and it, that that's how it's revealed that Dorley's not actually sleeping with him, um, and that she's pissed. So basically, Violet, Judy, and Dorley go to a bar after dinner one night, and they're kind of commiserating about how they hate Mr. Hart and how they would kill him if uh, they had the opportunity to kill him. And this is some great uh, uh, fantasy sequences mm-hmm. of, of the film. Mm-hmm through that so they bond over the wanting to kill their boss and some good barbecue that Dorley's husband made and some pot that uh, uh, Lily Tomlin's son had given them and so they're all fast friends fast forward to the next day and Mr. Hart comes and asks uh, Violet to get him some coffee she goes in to get him some coffee the, there's a thread in the earlier part of the movie how uh, the sweet and low box, the skinny and sweet box, looks very much like the rat poison box. <laughs> Violet had just gone out to replenish um, either her home or the office, and but she brought the skinny and sweet and the, and the rat poison in, and she accidentally puts the rat poison in Mr. Hart's coffee. Mr. Hart, she brings it to him. Mr. Hart has a, fun, uh, has a dysfunctional chair. He starts to drink the coffee, but the chair falls back. He hits his head. He passes out. Violet and Dorley and and Judy all think that they've accidentally poisoned Mr. Hart <laughs> through a series of ridiculous uh, plot twists. <laughs> they go to the hospital. They think that he's actually died from his 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 uh, from the poisoning. So they steal a body, um, and they then find out that the body actually wasn't Mr. Hart. They when they actually look at the body, they find out it wasn't Mr. Hart. They bring the body back to the hospital, and they're talking about. How they almost got away, you know, how many, how they just got away with it, and they're very happy that they didn't get arrested, and, and that the only thing that happened to them was a was a dented fender. But lo and behold, the um, the kind of protege of Mr. Hart, who's also a woman, had heard them in the in the in the ladies' room, and so he decides to blackmail Dora Lee into sleeping with him because he knows now he now knows that they tried to kill him with rat poison. Uh, Dora Lee has a gun in her purse. Um, she hog ties Mr. Hart as he tries. <laughs> as she, she, she's from Texas. She's a former rodeo queen from Texas. She hog ties Mr. Hart, um, and they essentially um, kidnap him. And because he won't listen to reason, he won't believe that they didn't intentionally try to poison him. So they take him to his home because his wife is on a, a four month or a four week cruise. They take him to his home and tie him up there until they can come up with a plan. They finally come up with a plan. They figure out that Hart's been embezzling funds uh, by selling off company assets. And they're, they've they got to call down to the corporate office to get the invoices for the corporate assets. So they've got to keep Hart tied up in his home for a matter of weeks to t- for, it take, for, it t- for it to take the invoices to get sent from corporate headquarters down to uh, the consolidated office wherever they are. I don't, I don't know what city they're in, actually. I couldn't tell either. Yeah, it seemed like they had to call New York to get... So maybe they were in California. Who the hell knows? Right? Yeah, it's like a mix of places. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, while Hart is away, Lee can sign his, his signature just as well as anybody can. Obviously, Lily Tomlin um, can run the office just as well as he can. And uh, Jane Fonda, uh, Judy starts coming into her own as well, kind of under under uh, Lee Tomlin's pro, you know, um, tutelage. So they start making great advances in the office. They make start making changes. They open a daycare center. They open a job sharing. They institute an equal pay. 
Um, they do all these things that are they, they. It looks like they do some sort of like diversity diversity inclusion because you start to see uh, di uh, um, disabled people start working in the office. So they basically increase productivity over a matter of six weeks by twenty percent. Um, eventually, Hart's wife comes home and sets him free from the the house, and unbeknownst to to Dorley and uh, the rest of the crew. And in that time frame, Hart figures out what they're trying to do. He he reorders all of the equipment, so he's out from under the the thumb of of them under their blackmail. When he comes back to the office, however, the head office, the head uh, poncho, who's basically kind of a Colonel General Lee type uh, uh, character, played by Sterling Hayden. <laughs> yes, head of the corporation comes down. He's very impressed with Hart's increase of twenty percent. He's in, impressed with the with the daycare center. He doesn't really like the equal pay thing. <laughs> But right. so he, he says to squash <laughs> that. But he's so impressed that he wants Hart to uh, to open up an office in Brazil. So he <laughs> he takes so right as Hart is about to call the cops and 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 turn the screws to our trio of women, he's taken away off to Brazil and Violet is and through a series of postscript. Uh, we find out that Violet's been promoted to senior vice president and all is well in the nine to five world as Hart gets kidnapped by an Amazonian, Amazon, you know, Amazon tribe in the Brazil and is never heard of from again. So um, it's, you know, and it, it's, it, this movie is wildly progressive and, but never preachy. It's, and it's, and it, the plot is fucking preposterous. It's so stupid, but it's so much fucking fun that it's impossible to fault it. Like the, the women are having such a good time. I think they're so pitch perfect in each of their roles. Like Tomlin is just, just kills it. I mean, Dora Lee, look, Dolly Parton, we, and I will get to her. Dolly Parton, her film debut is just, it, I don't, of film debuts where, and I know, I know, and she'd been around forever, but, right. but of film debuts, like, I think that's got to rank up there in the top of yeah. all film debuts. It's like, of stealing scenes and just taking it over, making your own and like just being so damn fucking just adorable and wonderful. Right. Like, and I, I don't mean adorable. Like, and I don't mean to be talking that it's just, it's just, he's just so great. No, but I think there's a difference in how she and how her character, that adorableness is a thing. And I think that's it's just earnest, better than, right? it's, yeah. And that's what, yeah, it's this earnest adorableness rather than, Oh, she's so sexy. and so hot. <laughs> because she's something different. I right. mean, yes, she's attractive, she's beautiful, but there's something kind of different about that character and about her in that character. But yeah, this 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 confluence of events that happens that where he they poison his nonsense, coffee, they, yeah. they poison his coffee cup, he falls over and hits his head and knocks himself out, gets an ambulance right to the hospital. The women then get there and hear overhear a doctor say how a person succumbed to their, you know, to their illnesses or whatever exactly they say. So they kidnap the body in a matter of panic. <laughs> and then, then after all of that, then they kidnap him, rig up this like garage door opener and, uh, and like flight suit to keep him trapped in his office. But they also like set up weird this S&M stuff. <laughs> right. Doing M&Ms and doing M&Ms. Um, yeah. In a sequence where uh, Jane Fonda's husband comes back to win her back or to ask her back. He, he had been casing her and follows her to Hart's house where they've been keeping him hostage. And this is another moment of like really good gas, like not good gaslighting, but a good use of that gaslighting where he's like, I was going to ask you to come back. She's like, no, you left me like, right. why am I coming back to you? You ran off with your secretary. 
no, get out of here. Right. Which is, I mean, you know, look, this is that kind of, not to go back to our other discussion, but this is that kind of second wave feminism. Right? Well, I think this is right. And this plot, this, this script started out serious, right? This is based off of the, of the nine to five movement. This is a real thing where women were uh, all had a you know boss killing story and they, and they tried to organize themselves to 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 make you know working conditions better for women prior to this movie coming out. I, Fonda said when she was approached with this, it was it came off as too preachy when it when it but but all of the tenants are still there, right? Of a woman who is divorced and figuring out she doesn't who she is isn't defined by her husband in this case, and she can make it in a world that's dominated by men and and, and that she can that life is not as hard as she probably was making it out to be. And she doesn't have to be, you know, just a housewife. If she didn't want to be, she can be something more. And you've got single mothers trying to mm-hmm. support themselves, while also trying to juggle all of the horseshit that comes with being, you know, uh, part of a, uh, you know, a, a patriarchy that's sexist and, 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 de- and demeaning and belittling. And then you've got Dora Lee, who is an attractive woman who also you see the side of her whose her feelings are hurt because the women treat her poorly because she's sexy and attractive and has the attention of men where, you know, Judy and I mean, Judy gets a little bit of the sexistness when, when the heart comes in there, but they're not as they're not Dora Lee. And, so, and they look right. So they look down on her and, and, and ignore her because of some misconception that they have about her. All of these stories are, I mean, I'm commonplace and, and 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 they're well thought out and well told. At no point does this movie ever require any of these women to have to have any sort of savior other than themselves. And again, like I said, all of it is preposterous, but uh, it all seemingly weirdly works. My only fault about this movie is by the time, like, you don't really get to, by the time that he's, he's in his house and they start really doing good work, all of that's montaged. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Like you, it just it just spits you right out to the end. Like it would have been really cool, and I get what they're trying to accomplish. This is an hour and fifteen minute movie, so it's not like it's short, but it would have been cool to live in the environment of like really showing that this they made this place a better place. And you know, I don't. So shifting some of the the mad cappery. That happens early in the film, so where you can see where these women are truly making a difference, and I think you see that, right? You see the alcoholic woman who like straightens her life up and 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 like has and and you know is able to like clean herself up because like, of a program that they implemented, through. right? But yeah, and and so I think you see a lot of that, and I think you see the positives of it all. Um, yeah. But I don't. I think if I were to do this differently, I you know, <laughs> as if a white male would do this differently. <laughs> As a storyteller, if I would have done this differently, I, w- I would have liked to have seen them spend more time in the world that they, the, the, the better world that they built. Um, or, or, I mean, to see them building it too. I mean, right. we see them building it, but we see it mostly through decorations on decks, new <laughs> right. paint on lockers. We don't, any you know, signatures, yes, but right. You see Dora Lee going, well, if we're going to make, if we, if we're going to make that change, we better, we should make some real changes around here. And then Q, nine, two, five. And then right. we cut into like the montage of, of build of memos going up on billboard or the billboards or, or bulletin boards and yeah and, and things happening right of like yes like <laughs> but thank you for not smoking sign coming up on a desk and that would have given i think more space for some of these ancillary characters to have a little more life in them as well i mean because you have kind of stereotypes right sure and, and, i mean you have the drunk woman you have the sort of uppity woman you have 
the woman of color who loses her job. Right, right. And we don't really because because she can't work a full day, can't work a full forty right. hour week, right? Because she, she didn't even want to. I mean, I right. She's like because, and that's part of what they instituted was like part time work, and then sharing that like part, you know, having two people. Well, flexible work hours and all right. this kind of stuff. And right. like, I mean, these are extremely progressive ideas, but again, like they're all just kind of spit out and then like, we'll right. Which move on. most probably companies don't even have them today. No, like, I was going to say watching this, you know, watching it last night, I mean, at a time of recording and thinking about how progressive it is for today, this movie made in 1980, that's 40 plus years ago. Yeah. Right. And how those ideas are more progressive than what a lot of companies are doing now. Right? When, and Hart comes back. When Hart comes back, he immediately shits on all of it. Now, again, all this is right. played for laughs, right? But he's like, but but the part where you're now, okay, these girls, these women, Jesus, these women are actually in peril. Um, and then he's like, I'm gonna, fu- I'm changing all of this. I hate it. I hate it. I, he didn't even listen to the ideas. He doesn't know that the percent that the productivity's even gone up. And then when he's faced with the chairman of the board coming to talk to him, he immediately hides behind violets mm-hmm. and basically saying, please don't yeah, let me stand by me. Yes. You have to stand by me. Right. Yeah, Violet, you have to stand by me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how you described it as him getting to where he got by standing on the shoulders of the women that trained him or even stepping on the shoulders of the women. That, that, that's an accurate portrayal. I think it's probably still one that happens way too often today. I mean, look, the pay gap is still there, and I don't want to hear any anybody like email me about how that's a made up thing. Fuck you, right? Just, I don't, I don't think just, Jordan Peterson's going to email you. <laughs> he might. He actually might. He would probably send me like a weird like WhatsApp message or something. <laughs> I'm like, how did you find me? Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with any of this, other than to say, yeah, I mean, it's uber progressive, and he, the the reason to change it is because this one person in power doesn't like it i mean this is how hegemonies work right i mean they they just like lull you into accepting this is how it always has to be you can't change things it's just this is how it's always been now don't do it it'll never work except when we see it does right if it's not this one person's idea then it just doesn't count uh it's infuriating. I, I, I love this scene when hart is talking to judy and to violet and, when, and he's like introducing the company to to Judy, and he's just talking about fucking football and like teamwork. <laughs> it's and a like, shame you girls never got to play football. And, yes, because I think yeah, football or baseball, because that's uh, really where you learn all your all your good stuff. And I mean, it's, that's I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he's saying. <laughs> I mean, I think Cole is great in this, and I think he is playing that part like so well. And he's just enough of a caricature of a guy like this, where you understand how buffoonish they actually are. Oh right, I think he's like pitch perfect. I was thinking about this. I, I, I want to go back and investigate some of Coleman's other filmography because I mean, I only know him in roles like this where he plays the kind of, you know, the principal Vernon in Breakfast Club. Where he's, you always play the asshole. You always play the, you know, the, 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 the Lothario or the sexist bigot or the, you know. Well, hey, um, Cloak and Dagger. Oh, that's true. Cloak and Dagger. That, that's a good one. That's a that's a really good one, actually. I, I but, I'm, but I'm but I'm thinking of like modern problems and and no, yeah, right, yeah, I know. hot to trot to a lesser extent. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think we'd reference hot to trot today? No. The Bobcat Goldwave. I never I never know what we're going to <laughs> reference on on this show, which is one reason I continue to do it. It's if, one reason I look forward to it. <laughs> if you haven't seen Nine to Five, you most likely haven't seen Hot to Trot. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's right. Dabney Coleman was in You've Got Mail, too. He played his dad. He played Tom Hanks' dad. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like that same role. I was just trying to think of like what else he had been in. And Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was a, a little too old for me. Like that missed that that was not a thing that was came across my radar. Yeah. I've seen a few episodes. I actually like it. It's uh right. it's a good show, but it's one of I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna binge it. So, so <laughs> maybe it'll come on Pluto TV. Maybe. Maybe it'll be a Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. You know what I would really love is a soap channel. I really want like the the you're familiar with the Billy Crystal. Like yeah. I, I used to watch the shit out of that when it was on Comedy Central. Um, I, and I digress. But anyway, 9 to 5 is really good. I, 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 yeah. I, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's, I mean, Dolly Parton, it's just, like, I can't express, because Lily, it, I mean, obviously Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda are great actors in their own right. I mean, and, and they had been forever. I know Dolly Parton had been performing since she was like 10 and she's got Grammys at this point, American you know, country music awards. And the fact that people weren't just lining up I mean, and I have no idea about her career and what she actually wanted to do in regards to movies. I know that when she was speaking about this, she was like, there's a lot of like um, standing around and doing nothing. So like, I kind of like when I do my job, I kind of like, I want to get in and I want to do it and get it done. And like, I, I don't have a lot of downtime. So I think she might've found like making movies. I see that. She said, like, the, the friendships that we made and things like that, they were all great. But, like, you know, you just you have a lot of times doing the scenes over and over again and you got to do all this. But she's so good in this. And she's so, like, the scene where she's with her husband. And what's another, mm-hmm. the, another great thing about this movie is it really does downplay the, the men influence in any of these women's lives. Yes. You focus yes. on women the major- when they're not focusing on heart. You focus on women most of the time. I mean, all we only see like you know one or two other workers. You see your son in the place that the, are right, males yeah. too. So. Right, right. Yeah, you see the male, the male guy, uh, the disabled man, and then of course the the big wigs are, are males. I mean, right. um, but I mean, like most of the men are sort of played as villains in the film or caricatures. For yeah, sure, right, right, right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that's that's great, and I think I think. Um, that example of of Dora Lee or Dolly Parton's husband is a good one because he's, I mean, he's kind of doing the thing of like you know just just don't let them kind of mess with you. Don't I mean he's trying to be supportive and he's just not very good at it. But I don't think he's malicious in any way. You know, no, no. And and it's clear that they have a warm like loving relationship. And so you know that's I mean he's just kind of a doofus. He's on the bed playing a guitar or something, right? But 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 again, like Jane Fonda is divorced. Lily Tomlin is a widow. I do think that scene with her husband's pretty telling though too, because all he does is tell her to smile more. I know. And so that's very like also I was watching it, I was like, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. Just but he kind of says it as what like use your smile to I mean he's I no it's not malicious. It's really not. And you can kind of and you can kind of see her like in the moment basically saying, I've tried smiling. Right. I've and and like I would, uh, this comes from a very '80s perspective that these women having to balance this. Like you can't just be like I mean, even Judy, you know, it still is unsure of herself, and and it, you see that kind of evolution of her character. Um, you know, Violet is pretty much the one who stays the sanest throughout the the most of it. But obviously, when 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 the things start to go really crazy, she has the most to lose and starts. Obviously, she starts acting the, the craziest. <laughs> so like. She just takes charge and starts kind of like bull, bull in a china shop, like driving through and, and running away from cops. And like, that's a really funny scene, too. When <laughs> I'm a doctor. <laughs> it's already too late, damn it. <laughs> and doesn't she, she gets recognition for not panicking in the moment. Right, right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really fun, progressive movie. And I think, like we've talked about with something like Triangle of Sadness, the points are made clear through the comedy, I think, right? Where the, the ideas come through, you know, not despite of, but because of the, the way they're presented. So that they're not too heavy-handed, not too on the nose, not too kind of hitting you over the head, but give you some space to sort of play and laugh and still sort of digest all the messages. The director, um, Higgins, uh, Carlos, not Carlos, it's Colin, right? Colin, Colin Higgins. Is it Higgins? Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. Colin Higgins, yeah. So he directed Harold and, and he did not direct Harold and Maude. He, he wrote, wrote Harold and Maude. He directed Foul Play mm-hmm. and then he directed Best Little Warehouse in Texas. He died of AIDS in 87. So like, he, I think that's his career. He was four, he was young. He was 47. So like, um, that was a, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I like foul play quite a bit too, but yeah. obviously it's not Harold Amon, but I, he wanted to direct Harold Amon, but I don't, but obviously I don't think they were going to give it to him. He wrote Silver Street too. Right, right, right. That was his other big, and that was, when I think of like Gene Wilder, um, uh, Richard Pryor films, I, I always forget kind of how well reviewed they were, how well received they were up until like Hear No Evil, Sooner Evil, when he starts to get to became like and Pryor couldn't save himself from being in bad movies just to begin with, but right. like with Silver Streak, Star Crazy. I mean, like there's they they did a, some really, but Silver Streak's really good. I mean, it's like it's <clears throat> oddly, I mean, yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> like for what you think a two hander of like those guys would you know would be. I don't know. I just I gotcha. see them as kind of being silly. When I think about them, I think of them and hear no evil, see no evil yeah. kind of type stuff. Just kind of I, like lesser comedy things. I always, I often wonder what would have happened if Richard Pryor would have had the Gilda Radner role in Haunted Honeymoon. (laughs) Or the Grandpa Joe role in Willy Wonka. (laughs) No, I just, look, I just think that movie would make an interesting companion piece with Cosby Pryor and California Suite. As as a divorced couple. Yeah, no, I'm with with, you. With an adopted teenage daughter. (laughs) (laughs) So nine to five is is great. You should uh, if you haven't seen it, um, you should check it out. We did a screening with the or the Fort Worth Film Club did a screening with uh, She Dares Collective here, um, and it was really good turnout, really good conversation afterwards. There was a remake that was bandied around. I want to say late '90s, early 2000s, that we was going to do it with an all black cast. Mm. Um, it just never got off the ground, but it was kind of a rumored thing. It was actually a television series like right after so this was in 80 they did a tv series in 82 i think uh hart's wife was the only one that came back um, okay through the roles and but but dora lee was played by dolly parton's sister uh. um i think it like ran for two years then went away for a minute and then came back and ran for another three mm. i can't imagine how this works as a series though like you can't like the you 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 take the teeth out of heart right if you right. make him a because eventually you can't have him be you can't keep him chained up for three seasons <laughs> not only that but you, you can't have him be like this overtly evil ogre all the time right, right? unless right. you just have him as kind of like a uh, a disembodied voice from someplace else you can't just have him be I don't know I don't know how that works as yeah. a series other than just office hijinks kind of thing but uh well, we've seen those shows before <laughs> right <laughs> um okay anything else on nine to five no i think we're right. good go go watch it screamers mm-hmm. 
until next time, on next episode, we are going to shift gears a little bit before we get into our next director series. And we're going to engage in a series that I'm calling I Stole It at the Movies. <laughs> we'll be looking at heist films, con man films. We've got a list of six so far. We have Danger Diabolique, Grand Slam, and my other one was Welcome to Collinswood. And then my three were Nine Queens, Victoria, and Fast Five. <laughs> I, I, I love that I put Fast Five in there. Yeah, no, Fast Five is... Uh possibly the best fast and the furious movie there's there's no conversation there's no conversation of course it is of course it is okay well so we're excited to talk about those and and hopefully you will have some time to watch along right and uh, and if you want to start getting ready for the next director series start boning up on david gordon green you can start plowing through his filmography so you will you'll know that when us screamers are talking about certain things and, and the nuance of uh george washington and how it plays in with halloween kills um, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. You too can be a cool kid at the party. Um, okay. Impress your friends. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all we got. Thanks for listening, everybody. And keep screaming. Show me how strong you are. It's really disgusting. And you could just sit there. Watch it happen. You know, James, you worry they got the wrong man. The Saints. Do you think it's possible to wash them? I think that's possible, ma'am, because this is a motorized vessel. Yeah. So we don't have any sails. And up to now, I've been forgiven and forgetting because of the way I was brought up. But I'll tell you one thing. If you ever say another word about me or make another indecent proposal, I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? And we've liberated ourselves we will have to ask ourselves who we are. You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you liked today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting whydoesthewilhelmscream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time. Ah!